we're a prisoner to our own life because of what we're seeing ourselves as. When we step out and go, I'm not the only one suffering with this, fear starts losing its power because you're not listening to that message of it's only you, if people only knew. And from that place of action, you can then start seeing the traction, the momentum to become emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy. They're all interconnected. All right, my friend, welcome back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project podcast. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, founder and CEO here at the Fit Father Project. And in today's episode, we have a special conversation between myself and one of my friends, Mr. Mike Forrester. Mike is the founder and the host of the Living Fearlessly Today podcast. He's a men's transformation and transition coach. And quite frankly, Mike is a guy that has gone through a lot in his life. He was brought up by parents that were doing the best they could, but ultimately created a lot of different programs and different things that Mike had to unwind later in life. And in this conversation today, Mike and I really dive into the topics of how we can recreate our mindset, unwind different patterns and behaviors from our past, forgive our parents, be better parents to our kids. There's a lot of amazing stuff in this conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Mr. Mike Forrester. Mike? Welcome officially to the Fit Father Project podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate being here, Anthony. I just have the feeling that this is going to be a wonderful conversation where we're going to get deep on personal growth, family, past history, parenting. That's where I want to steer this. But before we we get into the deep stuff, and maybe as a way to get into the deep stuff, please tell me and us listening a little bit about yourself. Who is Mike Forrester? What kind of life experiences have brought you here? Let's kick this thing off. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm a dude like anybody else. You know, I almost destroyed my marriage, my relationship with my children. And because of like the inner work, the self-work, diving into the pain, now I have a vibrant, intimate marriage, you know, where my wife actually wants to be with me. And my children, all four who are adults, now we have like that secure, trusting relationship where we can have conversations. And I'm just the guy on the other side that's saying, hey, come on over. It's all accessible. And you don't have to stay stuck in that place where it's painful and you're doubting yourself and you doubt your worth. You know, there's a different life that's available to you. So you're here now on the other side of this and you've created what really sounds like a beautiful life as a byproduct of growth. Let's talk about the destruction, though. Where were you at? What does it mean to really feel like you were destroying things? And what were some of the patterns and actual stuff that was happening in your life? So let's be fully honest, man. I lived out Eeyore. I was the pers- just living out Eeyore because it was like, woe is me. This sucks. That sucks. Um, but, you know, in order to, like, handle my emotions... I was the Hulk. And so I would blow up. And in my house with my children, and I mean, they were much younger then than they are now. But think about how happy a home would be when your dad comes home, he's frustrated about what went on outside, let's say it's work or, you know, just with friends. And it's that uncomfortable dad comes home and the bomb goes off. 
you know, they would walk around for two, three day, two or three days, not trusting me, knowing that dad's in a place of being able to blow up. And so there wasn't that closeness. I was a dad, but I wasn't that, that safe dad. I sure as heck wasn't fun. And the conversations were more between my wife and my children because she was the safe place. And so that all came about because of the patterns that I learned as a child. I ended up having a paranoid schizophrenic mother, a passive dad. But from that, they both had their own hurts. And so that stuff carried out in how they raised my brother and I. And on top of the dyslexia that I have that wasn't diagnosed until 40, you know, I felt special, but it wasn't that kind of like good special. I felt like an outcast. And, you know, when at home you're being told, hey, you're a mistake, you're not going to measure up, you know, you're not worth anything. You can understand like what that fosters, what kind of impression that leaves with you. And so I carried that, you know, even until my 30s, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but that was where I was at. And that was then playing out both in my marriage, being a father, and also at work, because even at work, I would play small because if I stepped up, I was afraid I was going to, you know, not be able to carry it out to be able to have those successes and people would find out I was a fraud. When do you realize this stuff is happening? Because I think we all have these impressions from our upbringing, from our parents, from past experiences that that color color the way we show up. Was there a moment when it becomes conscious for you when you're like, this is no longer okay, or I start to see what's going on? What cracks those habits and those patterns and, and leads you to now be a coach, helping men transition and be successful? What are the first moments of realization and awareness for you? I think it's much like you're going to find, you know, with the guys in Fit Father, we hit a point where the pain of being overweight, of not having our health just becomes so much bigger than the pain of going to the gym, of eating in a way that isn't our norm, right? That's healthy. It was that thing for me where I looked at my family and it wasn't like an overnight thing where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this isn't what I want. There's that feeling that was always there going like, I hate the way I'm yelling at my kids. I don't like the distance between my wife. I mean, you're acting out from a place where you have pain internally. So it's not like you have to look around, but you're already able to go, I don't feel the way I want to. I'm not who I want to be. And that plays out, you know, in all areas of our life. So whether it's personal, professional, that just radiates from what we feel internally, you know, who we are when we're by ourselves. And so it got to the point where I'm looking at my family and going, I swore I would never be like my parents. And here I am. And I'm trying to gain my mom and dad's approval, their acceptance, their love by taking my wife and sacrificing her, making her like the butt of the events, the situations, right? I'm putting her in bad situations to try and gain something from them. And they're not in the place to give it. You know, they're hurt as well which that was part of the understanding from all of it is mom and dad are hurt and they're teaching what they knew because they learned what they had been taught. And I'm repeating that pattern, right? It's a generational pattern. 
And when I finally hit a pain point that was strong enough, it's like I was willing to ask some guys that I worked with, what are you doing? How are you getting to this point? Because in my mind and what I had been taught was if you asked questions, that was a sign of weakness. And on top of that, if you failed at something that made you a failure, none of us want to be a failure. So, I mean, I just bucked up. I was, you know, manning up and being silent outside. My family paid the price. Yeah, I see all of that. And I think the generational hurt and the ripple of these patterns is something that I think everyone experiences in some level. And I think it's a beautiful thing too, that you're living proof that you can break the cycle through hard work, effort. And it's really amazing. The fact that it's much less likely that your kids continue to propagate this stuff. Now, to get really into the more specifics, like how do you go internal and start to work on this pain inside? What do you do, whether it's mindset work or actual habits and, and implementation things? Because oftentimes this pain can feel like amorphous and, and hard to grasp and put your finger on it. It's just like it's there and it's deep. There's unwinding to do. What do you start doing, whether advice you got from your coworkers or stuff you discovered from reading or just intuition? What did you start doing to heal yourself and move from that place towards where you are right now? Well, I think the key to it is that it it's that self-work, right? I can't show up broken for my family and be a better dad. I can't be that better husband. I had to stop and look and go, okay, is this where I want to be? No, that was really obvious, but it was stopping to assess where things were. Okay, what am I frustrated with? Why? And I became like a two-year-old where, you know, it's like, how many of us know why, why, why? (laughs) And it's just doing that to pull off the layers. And it's not something that was just a one-time thing. I mean, three weeks ago, I think it was, I was boiling water. And because we had a, like a water health warning in place, like there was a main that busted. And so we had to boil water before we could drink it. In that process, it triggered something to me that took me back to being a teenager where I had to, you know, boil water if I wanted to have a shower because with my mother being paranoid schizophrenic, she didn't want anybody coming into our duplex to repair the water heater. So it took me back. I'm now able to pick up on that stuff of what's going on. And so in the beginning, to get to this point where I can now pick up on that stuff, it was, like I said, asking why repeatedly to drill in, being able to go through it, you know, not expecting to get there overnight. You've got to be patient with yourself. You've got to give yourself grace. There's stuff that's gone on that you're going to come across that wasn't your fault. And so you're going to go through some hard stuff. You know, it depends on what your past has been like. It's going to depend on what you bought into, but we all have stuff that we can work through to get to a healthier point, to find that inner strength. And I also didn't do it alone because so often our perspective is skewed. We're going to see what we're used to looking at. And so I asked men that were around me that I trusted and I started off small, just going, Hey, what do you see? Like, when you look at me, like, what are my strengths? 
<laughs> start in a safe place, then go, what do you see as my struggles? And, you know, when you start asking those questions of the people that are around you, start with safer stuff because you need to build up trust in them before you really dive in deep. And, you know, not everybody is safe like we want. I mean, I wasn't a safe person to ask those questions to at that time, you know, so you want to vet them to have the trust to know that you can open up. So start with smaller stuff and get an understanding is where I'm seeing that I'm at actually where I'm at. Because the last thing you want to be is like, oh, I'm over here on Mars <laughs> and you're actually out on Jupiter, you know, that's leagues away. But being able to ask questions of yourself and from others for their perspective and make sure it's somebody that's not in the same point. Like I said, I was Eeyore. I don't need to ask somebody else that's in the same place as me for their perspective because their perspective is going to be skewed as well. I want somebody that's in a healthy place. Just like if I'm going to be asking for health advice, you know, fitness advice, I'm going to go to you. I'm not going to go to my coworker that's overweight and go, what should I eat? That doesn't get me where I want to be. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I think the inquisitive mind asking those why questions and also bouncing off and gaining perspective from people who are removed from the situation, also in a healthy place to be able to give you feedback and starting to start small with those asks, build up that trust, both because you need to build trust in that therapeutic relationship, but also because there's a process for you kind of going through the unfolding of this. As you're asking why to yourself, is this something that is a constant thing throughout the day? Do you get to the point where you're really analyzing a lot of these triggers that come up or is it more of a practice that is done a couple times? Like how continuous and I guess even, dare I say, obsessive were you about uncovering the why of these behaviors and unwinding some of these patterns? At the beginning, in the initial phase, it wasn't like a constant thing because it was bringing up additional stuff. And so it was pretty draining, but it was also more painful. As time went on, then it became more constant where it was like, okay, why am I talking this way? Why am I making these negative statements? You know, I was at the point where if you and I were in a group and I did something, you know, by accident, I was the first one to make jokes directed at myself because it was a power play. So by me putting myself down, that took the power away from you saying anything about me. And so as unhealthy as that sounds, I mean, you and I can look at that now. For me, that was a way to insulate myself, even though it was self-damaging. And so I had to walk through that and go like, why do I have this habit of talking negatively about myself? Why do I keep saying, you know, you idiot? Well, that was what I had learned. You know, that was what my parents said. So I'm going to repeat exactly what they had said about me. So as I worked through stuff, it became more constant, more consistent, more frequent. But it's like whatever you can do, do it. Some movement is better than no movement. And so keep working through asking those questions and looking into like when I drop milk, you know, or you spill water, why are you saying something negative about yourself? Where is that thought coming from? So, and oftentimes that will reveal 
more stuff behind it because it's kind of one of those superficial things of you've picked up a habit, but what's the belief behind that habit? And so that work takes more time and it's not really until you start moving in that area and gaining the healing from there that you'll be able to, you know, really make like the hacks and the small things. I mean, that's almost like the icing on the cake. First, you need to bake the cake, right? So that's the heavy work that you need to do. Nice. Well, I want to dive into a couple of things you said there a little more deeply. So once we start to ask why, and once we gain more awareness over the patterns, and we have this more inquisitive mind about why am I doing these kinds of things, and we start to see more clearly, where does the healing happen? Is seeing itself the pattern? Is that healing? Are there other steps of love and forgiveness? Like what takes something from I'm aware and I see it to I have now healed this pattern? Yeah, it's it's the first step in the process. So it's just like, you know, I talked about earlier realizing, hey, I'm overweight. Just because you realize you're overweight doesn't get you to a state of being healthy. So you need to work through it and continue to press beyond. So, okay, great. I realize I'm saying this stuff. One, stop saying those kind of things, obviously, because you don't want to reinforce it, but it's, it's then digging behind it. And in that community, those group of guys that are around you, if you have somebody that's like, oh my gosh, I totally get this, they can shed light that may catapult you to figure out, oh, this is where that could come from. Because, you know, sometimes we just have blinders on. We don't see that stuff. One of the hardest things is being like hypercritical of ourselves. And so you and I could do the same thing, Anthony. And I would look at you and I would give you that grace. I would say, oops, that's an accident. But for me, I would take it as hypercritical. Where does that criticality, where is that, that tough spirit? Why is that perspective there? So one thing that I had to do a lot, <laughs> in all honesty, in the beginning was like, okay, I know that I'm doing and thinking this way about myself. If Anthony was in this place, how would I speak to him? What would I tell him? And that transference, you know, kind of pulling us out of the position, man, there's a lot more grace that comes. There's that compassion and forgiveness that comes about. And that is super freeing because, you know, we, we will just kind of reinforce with that negative self-talk and that perspective even will reinforce that, that position that we're holding. It keeps us imprisoned. And if we really want to experience that freedom, we need to continue to walk through it, not just recognize it. Powerful what you just shared about the idea of in the early stages, when we may be so self-critical of being able to take a third-party perspective, like what would Anthony or Joe do in the situation and you're retraining ultimately words and thought patterns and belief structures. Did you ever use a tool like a positive statement to replace things that were maybe negative statements and reactions? You know, you spill the milk. I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. Once you remove that or you or at least are aware of it, do you use anything positive to fill the space or are there techniques like that that were helpful in your healing journey? Yeah. In the beginning, I didn't understand like, hey, that's affirmations. I just knew, okay, if I don't want to be seeing myself like this, 
how do I want to see myself? And so when I spilt the milk, oops, that was unfortunate or wow, you know, didn't mean to do that. You're taking that negative trigger. And that's a lot of times what we've done. We've created this rut just for a response and just you're almost filling in that rut, right? You're directing it on a different path. And so creating positive statements was something that took a long time for me because I had built up and just ingrained these negative beliefs. It took me, you know, quite a bit of time to go, hey, yeah, I am worthwhile. And, you know, there's going to be those times that you don't feel it, but you didn't get to where you're at overnight. So you can't expect, hey, I said this five times. Why do I not believe it? It's like losing the weight. You keep that momentum, you're going to see the results. And the results may not always come as you're expecting it. And just like with you know, losing weight, you can't just look at the scale. You're looking at measurements. You're looking at your energy. There's different factors that are going to play into that that you need to be self-aware of. Like, how do I feel? Am I tired? Okay, is that where I made the mistake? And you're learning what puts you in a place to make those negative statements. Okay, let's fortify this. Make sure I get enough sleep. Let's make sure I'm not eating junk food. I'm getting out and being active because all that stuff weighs in. And if you're not feeling like top of mind with a bunch of energy and fully rested, you're going to fall back into those places. And when you do, it's not just chuck it like, oh my gosh, I said something negative. Well, my day is going to suck. You stop you realize it, you give yourself grace and forgive yourself and say, okay, great. What do I need to do to reset? And so the affirmations helped me a lot. It took time. The other thing that helped me was a thing called affirmations, which are questions, because just like I would, you know, say I'm an idiot, I would also like, dude, what an idiot, you know, because I'm asking questions. Well, in asking why questions of why do I feel my worth is so high? Why do, you know, whatever, you're sending your brain off to go look for answers to fortify that. It's almost like when you watch a miniseries, like a TV show, and your brain's left, you know, going like, well, wait a minute, this just happened, but they ended the show. Now I have to wait a whole nother week or another year until the next one comes out. Your brain is looking for an answer. And so when you send it off on positive directions, it's looking for reasons to reinforce that. And that sets you in a different place than asking, you know, these self-deprecating and negative questions about yourself. So it takes time. Be gracious to yourself. Be patient and get back up there as quick as you can. Totally. I mean, the process that you just described seems so similar to the process of getting the body healthy with the grace on slip-ups. You're not having this all-or-nothing mentality. And one thing I was thinking about as, as you were speaking is a lot of what we're discussing right now is around the personal habits, practices, awarenesses, investigation. And I think that's a very valuable part of this. What about relationally with other of these key people that you've had this kind of drama or energy loops with? How much of this work is what I'll call is external, even though it's internal in the sense of like working on specific relationships. Maybe it's with specific members of your kids or your spouse or your parents. How much healing 
if and when did that happen along this journey in terms of having conversations with others as opposed to just monitoring and improving the inner dialogue? Well, one thing to understand is that I learned manipulation. And so in order to try and pacify or calm things down in my house, I would manipulate the situation to try and get the result that I wanted. The problem that that created is that it breaks trust. And so, you know, my kids would look at me when I was starting through the healing process, they would look and go, how long is this going to last? Dad's still not safe, but he looks safe. And there's that distrust, that questioning motive behind it. And it took quite a while before my children really began to believe that, hey, yeah, this is authentic. I can trust dad. And I'm going to approach dad with stuff rather than keeping him at a 10-foot pole length. You know, my wife being an adult, she understood what was going on and the struggles there. My children were still children at that time. You know, they're younger. And so what they had been taught was dad's not safe. Keep a distance from him. Don't trust him. And when I started making those changes, man, I had to give patience, not just to myself in that I'm working to change, but also in gaining my children's trust. And that was hard. It hurt because I'm like, just wanting to scream. Like I'm trustworthy. Come to me. I want relationship with you. And yet also needing to see it from their perspective to go, what have they been taught? What have they been trained? Okay, great. I need to give them that grace and and that space to go ahead and just build that trust. Because if I try and force it, dude, it's not going to come. It's going to take even longer. You know, I, what do I do? Blow up at them? Hey, why don't you trust me? Yeah, right. We're going to get there really fast. <laughs> yeah. So with your kids, you're patient, you're walking the walk, you're earning this trust back slowly by time. A lot of this healing stuff takes time and takes repeated with your parents though what was that like what was the relationship with them and 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 how did you navigate that and i'd like you to speak to more a lot of the patterns that you were expressing clearly were developed from your early experiences with your mom and with your dad so what was the relationship like on that connection too well just to set like a baseline before i started healing myself i hated my parents just because of what they had put me through and you know, feeling ostracized, it was like, whose fault is it? And I placed that squarely on my parents. But my parents, I don't want them to be demonized in the process. They did the best that they could with what they knew. They were taught just like they taught me. And, you know, the thing that helped me forgive them was to understand, do I want my children to hold what I put them through in the beginning against me, or do I want them to show me grace? And so it was showing them compassion and going, wow, okay. It almost became like a a pity, you know what I mean? Because it's like, wow, if my parents put me through this and this is what they did, what did they do? What did they go through to get to where they're at, you know, to how they're then acting with me and with each other? Because their hurt isn't just, you know, playing out with me, it's playing out with my brother, it's playing out with, you know, each other, and it shaped their world as well. And so the first thing I did with my parents was putting boundaries around them, 
And Dr. Henry Cloud talks about it in his book, Boundaries. And it's in essence, just creating like corrals around us. Like if you think of a dartboard and how there's different circles, right? Who's safe and who gets in where. And that was the thing that I had to learn was saying no to mom and dad and not sacrificing my family for them because they're not in a place where they were able to give the love the way I wanted. And I worked to reconcile with my parents, you know, forgave them and tried to have a relationship with them. But the one thing that you'll learn is we are all in control of the decisions we make. And as much as I wanted relationship with my parents, they didn't want to go that path. And so at this point, they've both passed away, but they didn't want to pursue reconciliation. They didn't want to have that close relationship. And so, you know, that's unfortunate. But the amazing thing is I'm in a place where I get to choose how I interact with my children, whereas they made a choice to not heal themselves and reach out. You and I were in a place of control where we can decide what we do. And that then dictates. So it's unfortunate and I wish things were different, but they are what they are. And what I can control is what I focus on. So yes, that tracks with me completely. I want to change gears a little bit. It's definitely in this domain, but I want to talk about fear because you're a coach and you're the host of Living Fearless today. So fear has been a dimension that you've explored a lot on both ends of the spectrum. We've spoken a little bit about your relationship with fear in the sense that you were afraid of messing up and in, in, in judgment of others and self-critical. But like, I'd like you to speak to fear, what you've learned about fear and also how you personally and also help men overcome limiting fears and, and move into expansion. Yeah, so fear was... Fear was what directed every decision that I made. I wasn't making it on my own. It was always through the lens of fear. How am I going to be perceived? So I was afraid of success and failure. I didn't want to succeed and be elevated because then the expectation is there to continue performing in a successful way. And if I screwed up, then people are going to see me who I really am. I didn't want to be the screw up. So it's like you were never in a place of being comfortable. Fear was one of those that, like I talked about, if I failed, I became a failure. And that's not at all what I or anybody else wants to be. You know, it's like you want to be successful. You want to be seen as competent and have that confidence. With fear, it kept me playing small. So even if I was qualified for a job at work, I wouldn't apply. You know, I would complain about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I want it, but in the same sense, I don't want the responsibility and visibility it may bring because then I'm seen as a sham, right, if I don't perform. And so I passed up lots of opportunities because of that. So fear keeps you isolated. It keeps you distant from the things you can accomplish. And so you're always playing it safe, but never feeling secure. And the other thing is it keeps you quiet. So like for men, there's a thing that I call silent suffering. And if you look at depression statistics, you'll see that women are more vocal that, you know, they're speaking up, they're sharing, hey, I'm suffering from depression. I'm in this place. Guys, nowhere near that. But if you then carry that on and look at suicide, 
were three and a half times higher. And so we internalize that, we keep it quiet. And so my fear was, if I say something, I'm going to be, again, put off. I'm going to be even further away from the tribe or the circle. I'm not going to be accepted, you know? And so fear just kept me in this unhealthy place. It's almost like, hey, I want to wear a suit, but I'm not the size I want to be. But if I go to the gym, I'm going to be seen as that heavy guy. You know, it keeps us locked in. We're a prisoner to our own life because of what we're seeing ourselves as. When we step out and go, I'm not the only one suffering with this. Fear starts losing its power because you're not listening to that message of it's only you, if people only knew. And from that place of action, you can then start seeing the traction, the momentum to become emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy. They're all interconnected. And for the longest time, I kept myself there. I didn't see a way out. Fear kept me in a place of hopelessness of just being estranged from friends and family, and I didn't speak the truth. So you and I could go out for coffee, and I would tell you what I thought you wanted to hear because I wanted to be seen as a competent guy, right? As that confident guy. So I'm always living a lie. I was a chameleon, and I had lots of masks to make myself look good. And the only person I was fooling was myself, and it was that fear that was the driving force behind it. It keeps us distant from others. Now, what happens if we have fear in like a particular domain of our lives? Because I think there's general fear, which is what you described. What happens if a guy is afraid in a very particular domain? Is the process any different? Well, one, I think something you shared that was very powerful was the idea of understanding that you're not alone that these are common shared experiences because then it gets you out of the isolation of it's just me. What's the process for domain-specific fears? Do guys start to take small steps into exposing to these things or is there, what's the process like for that? Yeah, so if you've got something that you're specifically like, hey, this won't work and I'm afraid if I step out and do this, you can start by looking at how likely is this to actually occur because we'll buy into stories that just aren't true and give them more credibility than they actually need. I don't want to start driving because I'll get in an accident. I'll be hit and, you know, my life will be forever changed. You know, like you can play it to whatever degree and how much you want to fuel it. So that's the thing is to look at that fear and go, okay, what's the likelihood of this? And if it does happen, how impactful is that? Because sometimes we'll look on a scale of one to 10 and something that is not going to happen and it's not going to be really impactful, like it really wouldn't do stuff. And we'll just create this mountain of a monster and give it power that it doesn't actually deserve, but it's our perspective. And so if you're looking at something that's a specific fear is how likely is it? How impactful is it? And then I would say, again, pull in that community. If you've got other men around you that you trust, and which you definitely should have, whether it's coaches or friends or whatever, mentors, ask them, hey, this is where I'm looking at that I'm afraid may come to pass. What do you see as the likelihood? And are there other ways that I can work around this? Because 
we'll usually get so focused on the negative outcome that we're missing the possibilities of how to mitigate this, right? To decrease the likelihood of it happening and then have a way of, even if it does occur, what would we do beyond that? And looking at things and giving light to it will take that fear and that power away. Yeah, that was a great answer. I mean, it's like working with different aspects of the mind, logical mind, emotional mind, the friends and pulling those in. It reminds me quite a bit of some of the stuff we do with our Fit Father members with writing mission statements early on. We get them very clear on both like the juicy benefits of transformation, but also the real costs up front of like what this is going to take. And I think playing with those different areas helps someone get the buy-in that gives you a little bit of courage to take those first next steps alongside a community of supportive people, which is probably the most powerful thing. In Arizona, there's a place called Sedona where there's a lot of beautiful red rocks and there's places there where some people do a little bit of like jumping off cliffs. And, you know, the person that's really scared to jump off the cliff, they do it because they're surrounded by a lot of people who are like, you got this, do it, do it. And so like, that's a very powerful influence. And it's certainly, I've seen in my life, good groups of like-minded people and coaches are hugely transformative. And this kind of leads me to what will be like my last one question or two questions for you to wrap this up. Tell me about the value of a coach because you are a coach to men, women who want to transform. Talk to me about the value of the coaching relationship. And also at the end, I would like for you to share a little bit about if someone really resonated with this in your story, how they can reach out to you specifically to have follow-up conversations and explore this stuff more in the work that you do. Let's talk about coaching. And then I want to hear about how people can interface with you if this really resonated with them. Yeah. In coaching, it's just like if you play football or you with like the gym, right? There's a wisdom and understanding that comes that we may not have access to yet. Now, could you gain it through watching YouTube videos? Could you gain it through a podcast, a book, listening to CDs or attending a masterclass? Yes. But a coach allows you to add like nitrous oxide to the equation. So it's one of those, if I say something and Anthony, you're coaching me through this, you can hear me say certain words and clue in on it, right? You pick up on it that I'm not aware that I'm saying. And that then gives us areas where it's like, hey, did you realize you're doing this? No, I didn't because I'm just, it's almost like a rote habit. It's a pattern and you're doing it subconsciously. And so a coach will give you the opportunity to not only speak about what's going on and where you're at, but it's a way that helps you miss the potholes to tell you, hey, you're hitting these kind of points when you're tired. What's your sleep look like? They have a more holistic and complete perspective where if I went, hey, I'm having knee pain, you could be looking at me and going, well, you're trying to play tennis in your vans. Your shoes just aren't supportive. It's having somebody else who understands what's needed and the journey that can help you fast track it, pick up those things, but also encourages you. Because just like we've talked about community, community provides encouragement. Beyond the encouragement, there's also the wins and you have somebody that's celebrating with you and you may miss it and be like so focused and concentrated on, oh my gosh, I had an argument with my wife 
you know, I had to go back and, and apologize. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's not what you want, (laughs) but how long did it take you to get back and talk with her? Did you take responsibility for your part? You know, you're looking for the wins that are continuing to build that momentum. It's the other indicators of success and growth that on our own, we may just be, you know, solely focused on the negative aspect. So a coach comes alongside you, helps you go further, faster, and uh, more completely. One thing before we continue, and I want you to share next how people can interface with you and continue this conversation and get in contact with you, and that I know to be true and powerful to plus on this is typically with a coach, sometimes we're gifted with experiences where coaches find us and they do it pro bono. They're just with us. They're at the right time, right mentor. But honestly, buying and purchasing a relationship with a coach is powerful too, because you're putting money which is kind of like energy in a sense behind your commitment. And I can say this, we've had hundreds of thousands of guys download our free meal plans and workouts, but the people that join our programs are the ones that transform because there's a little bit of the financial commitment behind there too, I think is is powerful because it's like, I'm in and I'm serious. I mean, it's just like January 1st. If I go to the gym and I put down $25 or I go to the other gym and I put down $100, which one's going to make me feel that motivation? You know, it's like when we have more invested, then we're more likely to stay engaged. It's how much blood do you have into the situation already? Because it's like, if you invest time and invest time and invest time, you're not going to pull out. You want to get to the end. And so a coach versus just kind of doing it, like I've been in masterminds and some of them have been free and some have been paid. And I can tell you the people that are committed and how much they engage with the paid ones, it's always higher. They'll show up. They'll be looking for my engagement as well as they show up expecting to be engaged. Are you going to get change without a coach? Yes, you can totally do that. Are you going to get more change with a coach? Yeah, because you've got somebody who's sold out for you just like you are. The more you engage, the more they're going to engage. And I mean, that's the one thing I would say is like, don't get a coach and not be ready to jump in and start pushing through. Just like you talked about, you've got people that will sign up and don't go down that path. It's the people who are sold out, have a plan, know that there's going to be stretching and pain and uncomfortability. That's where you really see the change come about is when I'm coming to a coach and going, put me in, let's do this. I want the end result. So it absolutely makes a difference having a coach. You can do it the other way. It may take longer and you'll go different ways, but a coach fast tracks you and really bolsters you in the process. So this is the perfect transition. Mike, if someone's listening to this and they resonate with you and what you've shared and your story, How does someone get in contact with you to inquire about coaching? Yeah, on the coaching, you can reach out to me at highcoachmike.com. My preference is to set up a call to make sure that it's like, okay, where are you at? Can I help you? Are you wanting help? Or is it just one of those of you want to take off a little steam of a pressure cooker? I want to be mindful and set you up for success as much as I want to see you succeed. So 
that's the best place to reach out and engage. You can also, if you're looking for encouragement, have a podcast called Living Fearless Today. So you can listen to that at livingfearlesstodaypodcast.com. And you can find me as High Coach Mike on Instagram and Facebook. Mike, this was wonderful. Thanks so much for spending the morning with me and everyone listening here and sharing your insight. Wonderful conversation. I'm so excited to share this with our fit fathers and I'm grateful for you. Thanks for showing up the way you did with such honesty and sharing some truly powerful things. You have me thinking about quite a few things after this conversation. My pleasure, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fit Father Project Podcast. If you love what you heard, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread this show to more men who need this valuable info. To watch full video episodes of this podcast and other motivational videos to inspire your training and more, visit our Fit Father Project YouTube channel. It's free and everything's made for busy guys over 40 like you. Visit youtube.com forward slash fitfatherproject to get access to our entire video library. And finally, if you or someone in your life is interested in becoming a fit father or needs help losing weight, building muscle, and living healthier after age 40, then visit fitfatherproject.com where you can see our proven programs, supplement line for guys 40 plus, and free meal plan and workouts to get you started. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll see you in the next episode. 